Greetings, and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. If you've listened to the podcast before, then thank you. I'm glad I didn't make you mad and that you came back. And if this is your first time listening, then welcome, and I hope I don't make you mad and that you come back. In this second episode, I'll tell you what your chances of seeing Mercury are before the end of the month. Spoiler alert, pretty much zero. And then I'll tell you nearly everything you always wanted to know about Uranus. Sorry, Uranus, but we're afraid to ask. Walking in space is a hot topic right now. On Friday, October 18th, 2019, two women became the first astronauts to conduct an all-female spacewalk. While I applaud and celebrate this, the question keeps coming back to me. Why is this a thing? More specifically, why isn't this the norm? Exactly one week earlier, on Friday, October 11th, 2019, the very first spacewalk was in the news, but for an altogether different reason. Alexei Leonov, the first person to walk in space, passed away at the age of 85. Alexei was a Soviet cosmonaut at a time when the Russians seemed to be leading the way into space. It started on October 4th, 1957, when the Soviet Union launched Sputnik, the world's first artificial satellite. On April 12, 1961, they followed it up by launching Yuri Gagarin, the world's first man in space. Two years later, in June 1963, they did it again when Valentina Tereshkova became the first woman in space. That's not to say that the United States didn't soon catch up. Six months later, in December 1965, Gemini 6 and 7 became the first spacecraft to rendezvous in space. Another four months later, March 1966, Neil Armstrong commanded Gemini 8 and achieved the first docking in space. He would, of course, go on to become the first man to walk on the moon, but not before NASA's Apollo 8 became the first spacecraft to orbit the moon in December of 1968. Despite these successes, it was 20 years after the Russians had the first woman in space that NASA launched the first American woman into space. Sally Ride flew on the Space Shuttle Challenger in June 1983 and then once again the following year, but it, it was her crewmate, Kathy Sullivan, who became the first woman to walk in space on that same mission, 35 years to the day that Alexei Leonov, the first man to walk in space, would eventually pass away. We can't say for sure how long it will be before the first men or women visit Mars, maybe it will be another 35 years, but let's hope that, when it happens, the first person to walk on another planet won't just be a representative of their gender, but will walk those first steps for the whole of humanity. For the first time, astronomers have witnessed motions of gas in a planet-forming disk. At three locations in the disk around a young star called HD 163296, gas is flowing like a waterfall into the gaps that are most likely caused by planets in formation. These gas flows have long been predicted and would directly influence the chemical composition of planet atmospheres. A new comet discovered by amateur astronomer Gennady Borisov is an outcast from another solar system, yet its properties determined so far are surprisingly familiar. For decades, astronomers have speculated that the space between stars may be populated by comets and asteroids ejected from their home planetary systems. Studies have also suggested that these bodies may occasionally pass through the solar system and be identified thanks to their highly unusual orbits. Studies have determined that Comet Borisov has a dust-dominated composition, a reddish hue, and that its solid nucleus is about one kilometer in radius, 
making the comet almost identical to comets within our own solar system. Citizen scientists have been urged to help shine a light on one of the most significant yet often neglected environmental issues by using photographs taken from space. A pioneering new project called Lost at Night studies the effects of artificial light pollution at night by studying high-resolution color photographs taken by astronauts on the International Space Station. Participants are asked to match unknown photos of cities to known ones in order to train a robot to automatically recognize and locate images. By locating the images, they can be used by scientists to study the impacts and rate of change of light pollution on a global scale. Artificial light pollution is an often neglected environmental issue, despite a host of well-known negative effects. Natural light provides essential information for plants and animals, so artificial nighttime lighting has a broad range of impacts. These changes lead to knock-on effects that can impact whole ecosystems. Lastly, the American Geophysical Union is accepting nominations for its 2020 Journalism Awards. So if you feel like nominating me, please feel free. Mercury is still edging away from the glare of the sun and into the evening sky. On the face of it, this is good news, and you might be hopeful of catching a glimpse of a tiny planet in the twilight. Well, to quote a certain Star Wars character, it's a trap. Even though the planet was furthest from the sun on the 20th, it still appears very low on the horizon. If you live in North America, your best chance is probably around the 22nd or 23rd when the planet sets nearly an hour after the sun. If you have a clear, unobstructed view of the southwestern horizon, and I mean literally nothing in the way, then you might be able to catch a glimpse of the tiny pinkish star just 5 degrees above the horizon. That's about the width of the three middle fingers of your hand held at arm's length. Or, in simpler terms, not very much. Realistically, unless you know what you're looking for, it's not going to happen. And if you live in the UK, you're simply out of luck. I'm sorry. Unless you're prepared to roll out of bed early in late November, you're better off waiting until February if you want to cross this world off your planetary bucket list. Venus is also problematic, as it's close to Mercury in the sky and suffers from the same visibility issues. On the plus side, you should easily start to see Venus by about mid-November, with the planet appearing close to Jupiter towards the end of that month. Speaking of Jupiter, it's still a yellowish star toward the southwest in the evening twilight, but your time with the giant planet is running out. It's currently setting about 3 hours after the sun, but that'll drop to 2 hours by mid-November. If you have a telescope, take the opportunity to catch it while you can. Saturn isn't far behind. It's setting about 4.5 hours after the sun, but that time will be reduced to 3.5 hours by mid-November. That still gives us plenty of time to enjoy the planet through a telescope, and a small telescope is all that's needed to see its rings and brightest moons. Yes, even those cheap ones from a department store will do the trick. Just not very well, and honestly, you're much better off buying a small scope for under 100 bucks from either Orion or Celestron. They're not sponsoring me, by the way, that's just my opinion. Neptune is visible throughout almost the entire night and is well placed for observation, if you have binoculars or a telescope. There's a challenge in finding Neptune without the aid of a computerized scope, but once you spot its tiny sapphire blue disk, it's relatively easy to find again. Uranus reaches opposition on the 28th, which means it'll appear opposite the sun in the sky. As a result, it's at its brightest and is visible throughout the entire night from sunset to sunrise. Unfortunately, unless you know exactly where to look and you live under those fabled clear dark skies I hear so much about, but rarely experience, you'll need binoculars or a telescope to spot it. 
you won't see much either. The planet is so distant that it won't appear as anything more than a tiny aquamarine disk in anything but the largest telescopes. It's still worth tracking down, but you'll likely need a star chart or a go-to computer scope to find it. Mars has finally escaped from the sun's glare and can barely be seen in the pre-dawn twilight. It's still pretty faint, but you might be able to spot it above the eastern horizon before the skies get too bright. If you're having difficulty, it's best to wait until the, at least the end of the year. The moon reaches last quarter on the 21st and will appear over the southern horizon at sunrise on that date. It'll turn new on the 28th and can be seen to the upper left of Venus the following evening. Come back on Halloween to see the crescent moon close to Jupiter. Lastly, the Orionid meteor shower reaches its maximum on the 22nd, and while it's not a major shower, you can still expect to see a higher than usual number of shooting stars around that date. These meteors are typically slow and bright, and under ideal conditions, you could see about 20 an hour. As with most meteor showers, your best chance is to look towards the east, with the most meteors being seen after midnight. So the planet Uranus, or Uranus if you prefer, is currently at its best, which means that it'll be the butt of everyone's jokes for a while. Even astronomers aren't afraid of the occasional Uranus joke, so here's mine. What do Captain Kirk and toilet paper have in common? They both circle Uranus looking for Klingons. There, I've said it. By the way, that joke is at least 30 years old. Of course, astronomers pronounce it as Uranus, while everyone else pronounces it as Uranus. Why? I don't know. It's just funnier that way. Kind of like how people call the star Betelgeuse, Betelgeuse. Thanks, Tim Burden. It's not as though astronomers don't have a sense of humor either. After all, if you can have an asteroid named Monty Python, why can't you have a planet called Uranus? Incidentally, despite what some huffy astronomers might tell you, including possibly myself at some point, both pronunciations are considered to be correct. All the same, I'm going to stick with Uranus for this podcast, and you can imagine the alternative for yourself. Despite having a slight sense of humour, I can still find the jokes a little tedious. Many moons ago, 2003 to be precise, I was working nights at a secret location in deepest, darkest Buckinghamshire in England. Mars was at its best for something ridiculous like 35,000 years, so I brought my telescope to work so my co-workers could look at it. The planet, that is, not the telescope. They couldn't care less about the telescope. My supervisor, Steve, of course, took every opportunity to ask what the view of Uranus was like through it and kept asking for a close-up view. In the end, I just wanted to deck him, but the subtle niceties of English society, not to mention being charged with assault, prevented me from doing so. Anyway, in the spirit of Supervisor Steve, let's run down some of the top 10 facts about Uranus. I mean Uranus. That way we can get all of the jokes out of the way before we go any further. Feel free to smirk, chuckle, or roll your eyes as you apply a double meaning to each one. Uranus wasn't discovered about until 1781, when the British astronomer William Herschel first saw it with his telescope. Uranus was glimpsed by a number of people before its discovery, but no one realized what it was. Uranus is basically big, bluish-green, cold, and full of gas. Uranus smells of rotten eggs, thanks to a cloud of hydrogen sulfur that surround it. Uranus is so large, it could hold 63 Earths within it, 64 if you relax. Uranus reflects about half the light that hits it, proving that the sun doesn't shine out of it. Uranus was struck by something twice the size of the Earth 4 billion years ago, and it now rolls around on its side as a result. Uranus has faint rings around it. 
Uranus was photographed extensively by a probe, Voyager 2, in January 1986. And lastly, Uranus is 27 moons, but because it lies on its side, you'll never see a full moon there. And Uranus will never appear fully illuminated from one of its moons either. You will have to trust me on this because I can't draw you a picture. I have to feel bad for Uranus. It's had a bum deal. It doesn't have the fancy rings that Saturn has. It doesn't have an amazingly active atmosphere like Jupiter. It doesn't have the possibility of primitive extraterrestrial life as Mars does. But that's hardly the planet's fault is it? Like Earth's shy sibling, for billions of years it orbited the Sun, minding its own business, unseen and unknown among the further reaches of the solar system, just waiting to be noticed. In the meantime, five other planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn, were enjoying the limelight and only poor Neptune was in a worse position. And then, one night in March 1781, the astronomer William Herschel saw the distant world through his telescope. At first he didn't know what he was looking at, and he thought it was a regular star. But when he looked again, he noticed that it had moved. Stars don't move. What well, they do. But you wouldn't typically notice anything over the course of just a few days. So lucky William thought it was a comet and reported it as such in April 1781. There was just one problem. It didn't look like a comet. It wasn't fuzzy and it wasn't developing anything like a tail. He was willing to consider that, it, that he discovered a planet and other astronomers were beginning to think the same thing. It took nearly two years for Herschel to concede that his mysterious object was a planet, by which time the name calling had begun. No name had been decided upon for the planet, but a number were in contention, including one suggested by William Herschel himself. In fact, if the Olympics had been a thing in the late 18th century, he would have won the gold for brown nosing. His suggestion was to name it George's Star, after the King of England. Not very catchy, and imagine it if it had stuck. For one thing, no one would bother to call it by its full name, and I'm pretty sure everyone would just call it George. Every other planet would be named after a cool Roman god, except George. He'd be named after a crazy English king. School kids around the world would be learning the planets as Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, George, and Neptune. Astronomers would say things like, I saw George for the first time last night. We're sending a space probe to George. Or, George is rising early this morning. What are you looking at through your telescope, George? It doesn't work. Not surprisingly, no one outside England was very keen on the name and the name Uranus was first proposed a year after the planet's discovery. However, it wasn't officially adopted for another nine years. Having said that, the name still differs from the others. Named for the Greek god of the sky, it's the only planet not named after a Roman deity. The planet's moons are also named differently. Additionally, Moons of planets are named after mythological figures, but again Uranus has to be different. All of Uranus's moons are named for characters from Shakespeare. It's a good thing he wrote so much, otherwise we'd soon be running out of names. Anyway, there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to Uranus. Sorry, I guess there's another potential joke there. But I'm pretty much out of time, and you need to get back to doing whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing. But don't worry, we'll revisit Uranus, sorry, Uranus another time. So here's this episode's trivia question. As always, this comes from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quiz Book. You can find this and my other books on Amazon at tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon us, that's for the US, and tinyurl.com 
forward slash Amazon UK in the United Kingdom. Here's the question. Eunice's moons Miranda and Ariel are named after characters from which Shakespearean play? A. Henry V B. A Midsummer's Night's Dream C. Romeo and Juliet D. The Tempest I'll give you the answer in just a few moments. Welcome back. The answer is The Tempest. Miranda was the daughter of Prospero, a sorcerer and former Duke of Milan. Ariel was a spirit freed by Prospero. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, and I hope you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find stars and stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com at forward slash snspod. That's tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, clear skies to you.